You are now listening to the Think 180 podcast from Inc. 180 Ministries in Chicago, Illinois. Hello and welcome. Please stand by. Chris, this is the Think 180 podcast. I'm here with Kyle Kronig. Uh, today's episode five. Can't believe we're already at fifth episode, but um, we're going to have a, a, a great topic today. Originally, I was intending on talking strictly about self-harm today, um, but I think we're going to do some background stuff. We're going to talk about um, just different type of mental illness issues and stuff that I deal with, stuff that my clients have dealt with and things I've learned since I've started this ministry five years ago. Um, because I have learned a lot and I continue to learn a lot. But uh, I guess before we get into the topic today, I wanted to, to kind of give you guys a little bit of a update on this last week. It was, it was a pretty cool week for the ministry. Um, I started off last Sunday. I flew out to Las Vegas uh, to do some work out there. And one of the, the really cool opportunities I got was to work with um, some friends at Central Church in Vegas, um, Pastor Sean Williams and, and Judd Wilhite. Um, I've known Sean for a few years, you know, he was here at uh, community Christian church and we became friends and he moved out there to start, uh, start some things with central church. And I've been a huge fan of Judd Wilhite for a long time and, and, uh, was really looking forward to the opportunity and went out, flew out uh, to Vegas that honestly is a, it's a place that's kind of tough for me to go to. I used to go there in my old life before I changed and, um, it, it meant a different thing to me at that time in my life, but. Uh, when I was at Central, the day I was at Central, I had a really cool opportunity to work with a young woman named Desiree that had some pretty extensive self-harm scars and um, work with her on covering those and got to hear her story, which was really moving. It re- really made me think a lot, um, as, as is often the case with my clients, no matter what kind of work I'm doing, um, covering tattoos or, or removing tattoos, but uh, just a, an amazing story. Uh, of strength and perseverance and, and really what's happened in her life since she really, she gave it over to God. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit as we get into things uh, when we're talking about the self-harm uh, portion of today's episode. Um, but some, some other cool things too. I mean, I, I get to play in some pretty cool sandboxes for God. You know, I, I got to go out to Vegas and do this and make these great connections and um, get caught up with some old friends and make some new ones and, it looks like I'll be doing a lot more trips to Vegas and, 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 you know, doing some work with central and they do amazing things there. One of their, their catchphrases, they're one of the, their slogans that they use, not catchphrase, I guess, but, um, they, they say it often 
and I loved it. So they say it, it's okay to not be okay. And uh, it's just, it's always cool for me to see churches out there that get it, you know. Um, church isn't a place where you have to put up a front and, and pretend that your life is perfect. And that's what I love about them and that church and their message and their congregation. And it's God's doing amazing things through Central. Uh, flew home, flew home on a red eye, uh, got home Wednesday morning early and uh, worked for, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, did a little bit of work yesterday morning. And then uh, my son Tyler and I headed to the Chicago open air concert. And uh, it's a heavy metal festival in uh, here in Chicago that we, we go to started last year. We went last year as well, but uh, we've been really blessed to become good friends with Brian Welch from the band corn. Uh, if you're not familiar with his story and what happened in his, in his life uh, back in 2004. You should check it out. Go on to um, I Am Second and watch Brian Welch's video because his, um, his book, Save Me From Myself, was one of the first books that I read when, when I got saved, and it really helped change my life. I've been a fan of their music for years. and I mean, I remember being a kid in the front row at the Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim and watching the Family Values Tour, and it's crazy to me to see how God has made a connection to where we're friends and we get to hang out with them you know, pretty much every time they come through town. Um, but he's somebody, Brian is somebody that really makes me want to do more and really makes me look at, at faith and things of that nature in just a different way. Gives me a different outlook. Every time I'm there, every time we get to hang out and um, just to hear what he's doing, see what he's doing, um, and then last night, um, as usual, he, he goes out after his shows and he prays with, with fans, just, they pull kids out and, and adults and they talk to him. He shares his story, he talks about what he went through and where he was and where he's at now and where he wants to go. And it's always so cool to see that. And, and when he prays with people, the effect that it has, like an immediate effect and, um, it was pretty cool. Last night we were doing that. It was about 11:45. Uh, we're in the corridor out around the outer bowl of uh, Toyota Park in Bridgeview, Illinois, on the south side. And there was probably 50, 60 people there uh, that Brian was talking to, and we were praying with. Uh, Robbie Dawkins was with us. He's he's an amazing dude too. If you don't know Robbie Dawkins, you need to check him out. Um, he's a good friend too, and I. I am also very inspired by him and his work. He just got back from Iraq and the stories he was telling us about that trip alone were there should be a movie made about it. It was a phenomenal thing. But, um, Brian, Brian is praying for a woman named Robin and, uh, he finished up and, and she was talking after he prayed for her that she had gone through and, and battled cancer and had come out of it. She had been homeless. She had, just all these things that, uh, you know, it was just a laundry list of pain and, and sorrows and anguish in her life. And she was talking about how she had started going to church and, and was being encouraged to keep going. And she really has found some, some good things and bad things. Um, I think that's a pretty common story. A lot of people like certain things about the church and there's things that they could do without. But uh, it was pretty cool because I was looking at her and she looked somewhat familiar. Like there was something about Robin. And after Brian finished praying for us, she, I was standing you know, off to the side of Brian and we kind of caught each other's eye. And she looked at me and she said, 
your name is Chris, right? I said, well, yeah. I said, how are you? And uh, she came over to talk and she said, you probably don't remember this, but four years ago, I was working in a retail store in Oswego, and that's the town we live in here. Um, you and your wife came in and when your wife was trying on clothes in the dressing room, you prayed with me and I was going through cancer at the time and it made a huge difference, you know, in, in that day and days that followed. And it just really, um, meant a lot that you kind of came to me and, and had that thought just to pray for me. And, um, it was really awesome to, cause when she brought it up and told me about it, I was like, I, I do remember that. Um, and I got to, to meet her boyfriend and we had a, a really good talk too. It was, it's just cool to see how God connects people and, and, you know, we get to work together in different ways and things get circled back around and we get to see people that, uh, you know, we prayed for four years ago, but, um, she's doing well, she's doing great. I, I invited her to church. Uh, she lives in Michigan, but her boyfriend is here in the area and I invited them to church to come and see us at big life. And I'm excited for that day to happen. And it was just a cool night. Um, you know, you're, you're sitting in a stadium with, you know, 30,000 people at a heavy metal concert, and then you go out and pray with them afterwards. It's, it's pretty awesome. Um, and it's just another great example of how God uses all of us. Um, I always say it, you know, if you would have asked me seven years ago if I'd be doing any of this stuff, I would I would have laughed. Um, I was a different person. I was a, a shell of a life. Um, I didn't really have a life. Um and that's because I didn't allow it. And Brian, I'll tell you the same thing. In 2000, 2004, when he walked away from Corn, he sent them an email. They were on tour. He sent the guys an email telling them that he was quitting the band and that he had to go find God and get clean. And he did. And, and God did a, a pretty cool and amazing thing of, you know, repairing those relationships with those guys. They were childhood friends. And, um, mending those fences and planting a seed for them to come back together and, and be able to do what they're doing. And it's just a, it's a cool thing. And to be able to be a part of it was cool. Another side story to yesterday. I grew up in LA. You guys, uh, if you follow me or heard my, my talks or anything, you know that, um, a lot of my friends were involved in gang activity when I was a kid. I was not. Um, but these were all friends of mine. So it was, it was pretty close to me. Um, it was always around, and when I was a kid, I listened to two kinds of music, heavy metal and gangster rap, and one of the, one of the guys I used to listen to a lot as a kid was Ice-T, and man, I remember I was an angry kid, angry, very angry kid, and we're going to talk about that. That's kind of today's topic, um, just different mental illness type stuff, but I remember listening to Ice-T yelling about the police and um, talking about the fact that he was a pimp and the different terms he had for women, all this stuff. And I listened to that as a kid and I grew up and he grew up. And yesterday at the uh, open air festival, he has actually, I didn't know if you guys know this, but ice T has a heavy metal band called body count. And uh, they had a really controversial song a number of years ago called cop killer. And uh, that's how most people found out about him. But I found out that they were playing at this festival yesterday and I told Tyler, my son Tyler, I was like, I got to find a way to, to meet Ice-T because I want to give him one of our brochures and tell him what we're doing, especially related to um, gangs and the fight against human trafficking. 
and we uh we had to get a little adventurous on how to to reach them but we did we managed to uh they had just finished a signing event at the show and we kind of snuck back we had we had backstage passes for one part of the you know, for the main stage area where corn was but we didn't have it for the side stage so anyway we kind of snuck back through there ice t walks out behind from behind this tent where they were doing the signing with the rest of his bands probably 10 of them and there's like 25 to 30 pyru bloods um that's what ice t was and that's what my friends were back in la and there were some people trying to get back there to take pictures with them. We just hung back and uh, waited for them to go over by their trailer and their buses and stuff. And I walked up and of course the security guys were like, Oh no, you gotta stay back. And I shouted out center view. And that's where my friends were from. And he turned and looked and I saw him from Carson. Friends are from Carson. And he looked at me, kind of looked at me strange. Cause you know, he's like, Seriously, you're you're here in Chicago and you're from LA. And he he waved me over and it was him and the other uh the other guy that was with him was the rapper exhibit. I, ironically from the show Pimp My Ride. And uh I'd met Exhibit a, a number of years ago, but I'd never met Ice T. So anyway, I, I gave him the brochure and I, t- I just briefly, very briefly told him, I said, you know, my name's Chris. Yeah, my friends were, you know, I had friends with Centerview and um, I said, I live here in Chicago now, and this is what I do. Like, my life changed, and I help people get out of gangs. I help uh, survivors of human trafficking that are branded by their pimps. And uh, I said, I, I want you to know I grew up listening to your music, um, but my life changed, and this is what I do, and I, I hate that word, pimp. And he smiled, and he said, yeah, we all, we all grow up, don't we? And it was, it was a cool moment um, just to be able to share with him very briefly what we do um like i said god has me playing in some pretty fun sandboxes and i get to have some opportunities that uh, afford me an opportunity just to to share what we're doing what god's got us doing and maybe it'll make him think a little bit i don't know um but like i said he's a different person now he's not he's not that same kid that was doing that stuff back in the day just thought it'd be interesting to share that with you guys i posted some pictures on the inc 180 facebook page so uh, check that out when you get a minute. So today, uh, originally I had, I had planned to talk about self-harm, only talk about self-harm today. And I thought about it when I was flying home from Vegas. I said, you know, we should really kind of do a, an overall discussion uh, episode about mental health issues because it's one of the things that we see kind of across the board, whether it's gangs or sex trafficking survivors, domestic violence survivors, um, people that deal with self-harm or cutting um, and people that we work with when we do uh, prison ministry and street ministry, it's, it's very common. We see different and varying levels of uh, undiagnosed and untreated mental illnesses. Now, I, before, you know, before we get into that stuff, I want to talk about me uh, because I, I love to be very transparent, uh, which is unusual friends, old friends of mine that, that are listening to this, you know, I never let my guard down um, before. I never showed my cards. I didn't want to tell you what was going on in, in my life or going on in my head. But here's the reality. I've been dealing with depression and anxiety since I was an early teenager. Um, my dad was a pretty horrible person. My mom was an amazing woman. She still is. So my mom is a 
a huge driving inspiration in my life, and I love her to death. Hi, Mom, I know you're listening. Um, that's not why I said that. My dad was a pretty horrible person, and uh, my dad was horrible with my mom. He was horrible with me and my sister. Um, he used to tell me stuff all the time, like, you know, you're probably not going to do anything that great in this world. Just do the best you can and get through life and don't do anything stupid. That was what he usually told me. Um, one, of the, one of the worst things and one of the best things happened to me, and uh, that's when he left. He, he left us, left our family, abandoned us right after my sister's, my little sister's birthday. I think she was her 10th birthday. Um, he, and he didn't just leave and, and get an apartment down the street. He left the country. He went to England uh, like a coward and didn't do a thing to help me and my mom and my little sister survive. And it, it was tough. Um, I was a young teenager. I was forced to grow up pretty fast. I was angry. Oh, my gosh, was I angry. Um, when I talk about listening to, to heavy metal music and gangster rap, it wasn't because of the melodic tones of it. It was, I was, I was mad at the world and um, getting more and more angry by the minute. So I turned to that as, a, as an outlet, um, listening to that stuff. And I think it made it worse, to be honest. But uh, I remember my mom saying to me when I was a teenager, I think I was like 15, maybe 16 years old. She was telling me, you know, I really wish you would see a counselor. Like she started seeing a counselor. And I remember my dad always saying, oh, that's for women. Like guys don't go to counselors. That's, you know, I won't even say what he said because it's not positive. But he, uh, some names he had for it, but you can imagine. Uh, he said, we don't do that. We're men. Like we just deal with it. And my dad's way of dealing with stuff was, uh, you know, alcohol. And I didn't want to go down that road and, I, but I, I tried it. You know, she set up a, a appointment for me to go see a counselor when I was 16. And I was so mad and so closed off to it that I sat there for an hour in that appointment. And I don't think I heard a thing that the counselor said. Um, I was just doing it because I thought it would make my mom happy. And I didn't, I didn't want to upset my mom. And I wanted her to think that I was okay when the reality of the matter was I was an absolute disaster on the inside. And uh, people have asked me about my tattoos. And they're like, Chris, when did you start getting tattoos? I was like, well, I got my first one on my 18th birthday. And <clears throat> I know exactly why I did it. Now, when I say this, I don't want you to, to misconstrue what I'm saying. I love every single tattoo I have. They tell my story. They tell where I've been, where I'm at, where I want to go. Um, my tattoos are extremely important to me, and I love them all. So don't take this the wrong way. But I started getting tattoos so people would leave me alone. I didn't want people to get around me. I, I didn't want people to, to get to know me, be friends, I, nothing. I didn't want to let anybody close. The only person I ever let in to my life was Lisa, and thank God for that because... Um, without her, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Um, I wanted to be the guy that you were walking towards on the sidewalk and I wanted you to see me and panic and cross the street and go the other way. I didn't want people to know me. I didn't want people to have anything to do with me and I didn't want to have anything to do with them. 
And it wasn't that I, I hated anybody or anything like that. It, that was not the case. I was just protecting myself. Um, I was an introvert. I was um, just, I, I'd been hurt by a lot of people. Um, I've lost a lot of people, lost friends, people that I really cared about. Um, the only person like that, the only, you know, two people really that were important in my life that didn't hurt me were my mom and, and my now wife. Lisa. Um, I talked about that a bit in the documentary too. You know, I, some of my, like people ask me all the time, like, Chris, why do you have so many skull tattoos? Christians love to ask that. Chris, why all the skull tattoos? I have, um, my favorite one is on my arm, my right arm. And it's a, a skull mask, like, uh, like the theater mask kind of things, but it's a skull. And people ask me like, what, you know, they love to ask the meaning of my tattoos and I love to have those conversations with folks, but like, what is that? What is that for? And I said, that was my old life. Like I put on this mask that I was just an angry, bitter person when on the inside I was really crying out for, for love and attention and that I didn't want to give because I was afraid that it was going to be taken and and misused and stuff like it had been in the past Uh, a lot of stuff leads back to my dad Um, now with that I'll fast forward and say you know I had I had made several attempts to um, kind of reconcile things with him you know we all grow up well or so I thought Um, I grew up but it doesn't seem like he ever did Um, I did forgive him for all the things that he did uh, to to us and our family and my mom especially um, but he's just not at a point where he's choosing to grow up I pray for him all the time I, re- I really hope at some point he he can change and kind of see what has happened in the past that he needs to make up for or change or give over to God but he's he's not somebody that that uh, has faith in his life and I, I pray that he gets that I really do but um yeah, I've dealt with this stuff for a long time. So I'm not just talking about, you know, you guys need to get, you guys need to go see a counselor. That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to tell you, like, this is me. This is what I'm dealing with. I still deal with it to this day. Um, I want to go back seven years ago. Uh, Lisa came to me. I, I was working for a, a great company. I worked for this company for 20 years and I was making great money. We had a great life, or so I thought. It was a mask. Um, you know, no, no amount of money really ever makes you happy, but I had that illusion of happiness because I could take my family on vacations and I could drive nice cars and, you know, put big rims on my cars and stuff like that. Um, but in reality, I was miserable on the inside. One day I got called into my, my director's office and he sat me down and he looked at me. I, I had known Zia for probably 15 years and he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, Chris, I, I'm so sorry, but I got to let you go. And I got laid off. Um, and I, I'm a guy who dropped out of high school to help support my mom and my little sister uh, get to work because that was what my dad instilled in me. My value was, was to go and make money and make as much as I could and hustle. And I had, I had that hustlers, hustlers mentality my whole you know life. And, uh, I probably always will in a way, but I'm trying to use it different to, to hustle for God now and, and just do different things, have different focus, um, not to hustle money, but to, to hustle to help people find what I found in him. But, um, 
it it was a hard time. I lost, I was losing our house. Uh, we couldn't pay the, the mortgage. Because I had a GED and no college education, I couldn't find a job making anywhere near as much money as I was making. It was like a 50% pay cut. So going from 100000 to 50000 is a real kick to the, the ego. Um, and I thought it was ridiculous. Um, lost the house to a short sale, lost our cars. We just, we lost all that stuff, all the stuff that I thought was important. And when that happened, it was before I was a Christian. It was before I had Jesus in my life. I mean, let me rephrase that. I know he was there. I just wasn't listening. Um, but Lisa came to me one day and, and this is very important for people to hear what I'm going to tell you right now to her credit. Um, she, and this is just how Lisa is wired. If you know her, that's one of the things you love about her. I guarantee it. She came to me one afternoon, uh, when I was in a a particularly bad place and she said, Chris, you know, I, I love you. I don't want anything to happen to our marriage, but like, I think we should go and talk to somebody together. Um, just to kind of get some help with what's going on and the marriage and everything. And we both didn't want anything bad to happen to our marriage. We both deeply loved each other and, and do. And, um, to her credit, she didn't come into the room pointing her finger at me saying, you're a mess. You need to go get help. I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, it was all about, Hey, how can let's go together and talk to somebody and let's try and get some help and let's get things back on a healthy pace. And I'll tell you, um, I was in such a bad place mentally that I looked at my wife who was clearly reaching out and trying to help me. And I said, yeah, you know what, Lisa, let's go to a counselor so they can tell you all the things that you're doing wrong, um, to make me be the, the way that I am. And that's where I was. And I'm ashamed of that. Um, but it's important for me to share that because it's exactly where I was. It gives you a good, Um, snapshot in time of just where I was mentally with my life and my marriage and my family. So we, um, we were asking friends who had gone through this same kind of thing. And we're like, where did you guys go? You guys went to counseling for your marriage, right? Who'd you talk to? And it was hilarious because the same name and same place kept coming up. And it's, uh, it's called the Samaritan Interfaith Counseling Center in Naperville, Illinois. And I don't, I don't usually do like uh, commercials for people or, or, you know, endorse people, but I fully endorse the Samaritan Interfaith Counseling Center in Naperville, Illinois. Go check them out if you need somebody to talk to. They're great. And uh, the person that we were recommended to see was Joan Guest. So we made an appointment after like the sixth or seventh person recommended her. And it was funny because we were like, we don't, it's a Christian thing. Samaritan interfaith counseling center. That's a Christian thing. We don't, we don't do church. We don't, you know, we believe in God, but we don't go. Um, we went and it was hilarious. I've, I've told this story a bunch of times, so I'll, I'll keep it the condensed version. But, um, I walked in with my tattoos all over the place. You know, I'm not covering my tattoos for any Christian counselor. I don't care. And that, again, another snapshot of where I was, uh, just my ego and, and everything else. But, uh, Joan walked out and she looked just like the church lady from Saturday night live. God bless her. She's amazing. I love her to death. Uh, I'd walk over hot coals for that woman any day of the week, but, uh, she came out and, and introduced herself. And I just thought in my head, I was like, this woman is going to destroy me. She ended up being one of my biggest, um, allies besides Lisa. Um, 
and really, really made a huge impact. In fact, I, I came to Christ because Joan prayed for us at the end of that first session. I literally experienced the Holy, experienced the Holy Spirit that day, he came into my life, and I went to church the next day, and you guys know the story. I went to Haiti six months later. I've been three times, and, and I have sought purpose, and I've sought God in my life. Um, and how to serve and how to use my gifts from him to, to make a difference and help. Basically, I want to help other people see what I've seen. Um, I want to help people experience what I have and, and more, you know, um, because it's, it's just a tremendous blessing in my life. Um, like I said, kind of mental illness, mental illness issues or related issues of different severity and degree um, are something that we see here every single day. Um, it's interesting to me. I, I talk to people about gangs and people are like, oh, these, these kids are punk kids. You know, they're, they're killing people and selling drugs and blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't really know if I've ever met somebody that woke up in the morning and said, you know, I'm going to go be a gang member today. I'm like, you know, I'm going to do it. They're looking for something that they don't have. You know, one of the most common things I do whenever I'm working with somebody that's a former gang member or even a current gang member um, I'm like, what drove you to that? Like, what made you go to the gang? What made you think that that was the direction you wanted for your life? And it's not to condemn them. It's just, I'm curious. And every time I hear the same thing, man, I was looking for family. Like I wanted a family. My dad, I've never met my dad. My dad's gone. My dad's in prison, whatever. Um, my mom's working. My brother's in the gang, whatever it is. And they're like, I'm just looking for that family. I, I needed acceptance. I needed, you know, people around me. I need, you know, and that's what I always saw. I stepped out the front door and that's what I saw. And I can somewhat understand that as a kid who was abandoned by my dad. I, and I, I truly felt that way that he just bailed. I'm like, how can you have a kid and just not care? You're just going to walk away. Um, that's what these, these kids are looking for. They're looking for family and they get this false sense of family from the gang. Um, and you know what, when they start, when they are just getting involved in it and things are going good and the gang's making money and everything's, that's all good. That's all great. It's all family, you know, but the minute that the cops know who you are, or you've been arrested a couple of times and now you're becoming a liability to that gang. They don't really want to have anything to do with you. In fact, they'll turn on you, um, faster than, than anything. And I've seen gangs take out their own because somebody's getting a little too notorious, um, or they get locked up. This is one of the thing I, things I ask them. You know, guys that are and guys and girls that are coming out of the system. I'll sit down with them. I'm like, man, it's awesome that you, you know you're getting your life back on track and you're going in a different direction. I said, you know, when you were locked up, how many of your homies came to visit you in, in prison or put money on your commissary? And they're like, none. Like, well, who did anybody come to visit you while you were locked down? Like, yeah, my mom. Like, that's the only family that really matters in your life. It's, you know, this false sense of family. But it, it's just people looking for acceptance, people looking for love, people looking for that family. Um, around trafficking, man, I mean, countless kinds of issues there. I mean, we've had so many survivors that have told us, yes, I was um, sexually abused in the home for years, as long as I can remember. Um, or, you know, I was in the foster system and I was neglected and they just didn't care. And I ran away from home, just a laundry list of stuff that, that leads down a path. Um, 
and led most of the folks uh, involved in trafficking we've dealt with had run away from home. Um, so we see a lot of that. We talk about the survivors of trafficking all the time, and we should because they're the priority, right? But very few times do we sit back and look at the Johns or the pimps and look at the issues, the mental issues that are going on in their life uh, to make them do what they're doing. There was a study done a few years ago by the Chicago Alliance Against Sexual Exploitation. Um, great people. They're doing great work. They came out with a study where they interviewed hundreds of, of Johns who were arrested for solicitation of prostitution. And they asked them, you know, why do you do this? You know, you're married, you have a family, you're a professional, you this and that, you're, you know, live in an upper middle class neighborhood. There was a whole different um, variety of demographics that it dealt with. But the thing that scared me to death was the answer to that question. Why do you do this? Why do you pay for sex? And the vast majority said it had absolutely nothing to do with the sexual act. It had everything to do with the power that they held over that victim. Um, I, again, I don't like to use the word victim, but um, in that report, that's what they were talking about, why they were victimizing. And it's sick. It's sick. What do you mean you need power? You have to leverage power over somebody. And they were talking about the amount of violence, the physical violence, um, just above and beyond the sexual act that, that took place. But we hear all the time about murders uh, of trafficking victims at the hands of Johns. There was one just recently that our FBI office here in the Chicagoland area took care of where a 16-year-old girl was taken to a house on Christmas Eve last year by her pimp and dropped off, and the John didn't feel like paying her, so he killed her and slit her throat in his garage on Christmas Eve. We're hearing more and more stories like this, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's undiagnosed and untreated mental illnesses. Pimps, same thing. Um, I had an opportunity to, to meet a former pimp named Homer King a couple of years ago at an event up at Moody. We were speaking on a panel discussion together. And it was interesting. Um, I guess that's the best word I can use for it because I, I can say um, that he has changed his life. And I was very, uh, very appreciative that he actually stood up and, and told his story um, and about what he's doing now in his, his new life. But afterwards, I kind of asked, I was talking to him backstage, and I said, you know, what made you think like that this was okay? And he said, you know, he said, it's not an excuse, but when I was a kid, my dad did this. I saw my dad do it, and I saw my dad pimp out my mom, and I saw my dad pimp out other people. And the violence, you know, the, um, there's all this stereotypical stuff, you know, like, uh, <laughs> one of the things people say all the time, like, oh yeah, you know, like what's that? I don't remember the guy's name, the Bishop Don magic want something that's always on Snoop Dogg's videos. And people are like, oh yeah, he's, you know, he's a great pimp and ball. I'm like, Man, please stop with this absolute disgrace. Please do not say that. Um, Pimps are violent and people are violent when they see violence. And that's not an excuse. It's never to say that it's okay. I'm not, I, I please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but if we're not treating these mental illnesses, they're going to continue to perpetuate. They're going to grow. And I know because mine did, 
Um, I remember getting so angry. One of the things Lisa and I have talked about recently is that I have developed ways to take care. Like when I'm angry, I can be angry. It's okay. Um, dealing with mental health stuff doesn't mean that you can't be angry. It's healthy to blow off steam in a, in a positive and constructive way. That's the difference. I remember there were times where I was so mad when we were dating that I punched my fist through a windshield of my own car because I was angry that I didn't want to go somewhere that she wanted to go. Um, I never was physically violent against her or anybody else. Um, it was always an inanimate object that took the brunt of my anger. Thank God. But, um, yeah, it's just, we need to do a better job of, of taking care of that stuff. One of the biggest problems with mental health issues is you can't see it. You know, if, if somebody's sick or you know, somebody's got a cold, you can see the symptoms. You can't see when somebody's dealing with mental health issues. Um, one of the biggest things I hear when I'm, when I'm, I do a lot of memorial tattoos. Okay. Um, I've had friends that I've lost to suicide. Um, I do a lot of memorials for those folks that have, have taken their lives. And almost every time when I'm talking to somebody that's going through that um, or processing that after a loved one has, has taken their own life, they say, I never saw it coming, right? How many times have you heard that? I never saw this coming. Uh, we lost my friend Scotty a few years ago, five, six, six years ago. Wow. Um, on 4th of July, Scotty was just, he was one of my best friends. He was uh, just a solid guy. Like I, he was one of the people I could always depend on. Like when, when Lisa's brother passed away, it, it really hit me hard. He, Joe died from cancer and long fight of brain cancer. And Scotty and I sat up all night on a houseboat on Lake Michigan singing. We were just having a good time talking about Joe and, and he hardly knew him, you know? Um, he was just one of those guys that I always looked to for, for positivity that's what he was all about. And he had a, a horrible disease called Huntington's disease. Um, and it, it started taking him down. His, he had lost his father to the same disease. And it was starting to affect him at a, a very young age. And, and he took his life. And I talked to him two days before. He lived in California. I was living out here. And I said the same thing. I was like, I could not have seen this coming. Like there was, there were no signs of distress on his part in this conversation. It was very positive. Um, we need, we need to be able to reach out for help. We need to be able to say something's wrong. When I was at central church, I, I mentioned central church out in Vegas. I follow them a lot, a lot. And, um, I watch their messages online all the time. And like I said, the slogan that they use all the time that I love is it's, it's okay to not be okay. You know, I, I'm at a point in my life where I don't have to put up this tough persona front um, anymore. I, I can be vulnerable. I can open myself up um, in order to get the help that I need and talk to somebody. Um, when I was out at Central, they took a picture when I was covering up Desiree's tattoo, um, both Judd Wilhite and Sean Williams. And um, they posted on their social media and stuff. And it was really cool. Um, within that first hour, they had 20 phone calls of other people from their church looking to get self-harm cover-ups or different cover-ups. And um, it, it was amazing. It was great. It started a great conversation. And like I said, it looks like I'm going to be going out there fairly regularly to help them out and help people out um, that are in their community. Um, 
so it's it's pretty cool um therapy is cool i I love it i i really depend on it um i can tell when i don't go often enough and i can feel it i it's i kind of uh explain it like this it feels like i have like a a hard shell over my heart or in my chest and i can feel it kind of compressing Um, not physically but I can feel it, and uh, it's like, okay, I need to go blow off some steam. I sit here, I sit here in this chair in my shop, and I listen to stories that Hollywood couldn't write. I listen to the horrific stories of human trafficking survivors. I listen to the terrible stories of domestic violence survivors. I hear stories of folks coming out of gang life that are extremely traumatic. Um, People that deal with self-harm, that just the years and years of self-hatred that they have dealt with at times um, and what drove them to that that event of cutting. Uh, it's hard to hear. When I go to jails, I go to prisons, I speak there and I talk to people and I pray with people and they feel abandoned. They feel, you know, just completely cut off from the outside world. Their family has turned on them. Their wife left, took their kids. They don't know where they're at. Um, prisons and jails are a breeding ground for mental illness and there's very little treatment um i (laughs) and i feel like i should run tom dart's campaign for mayor of chicago but uh, i've talked about in the last couple episodes but i'm gonna talk about him again because how much i i really appreciate this man and, and what he's about the cook county jail is the biggest county jail in the united states uh, we do work there. The folks at Willow Creek do a lot of work there. Um, they do great prison and jail ministry uh, as a whole, but they're in Cook County Jail a lot. A lot of my friends are there a lot. Um, Tom Dart has gotten um, a lot of counseling and put in place inside the jail. Um, he truly is trying to rehabilitate people that are in jail. It's not just a... a a hole in the ground to stick them while they do their time. He's really doing a lot of stuff to try and get people the help that they need so that when they do uh, come up on release, they can actually thrive in the community. And, and um, they've had that foundation of, of counseling. I'll, I'm going to tell you right now, I'll be in counseling for the rest of my life. And I haven't even had anything real bad happen to me compared to a lot of the folks that I get the, the opportunity to work with. Um, but I will never stop going to uh, to see a counselor and get help for what I need. Uh, why are we ashamed to get help? Why? Like, we talk about this all the time. I, whenever I speak in churches or at events, I always bring up the fact that I go to counseling. Why is it um, that we're so afraid to talk about mental health issues in the church? Why are we so afraid to talk about things like addiction or porn addiction and all that? Um, yeah, it's ugly, it's a lot of it, and it's hard to, to talk about sometimes. But it's almost like this, this shroud of guilt, like we can't talk about the fact that we're not okay. You know, I told you what my dad told me about therapy when I was a kid. You know, it's for women and victims. It's not for men. Like we just need to like suck it up and move on. And I think, you know, we're told that way too often growing up as boys. Um, I wish I would have gotten help a lot earlier. You know, I, I could have had a whole different life. It, it's so bad. Um that before before I met Joan Guest, before Lisa came to me and said, hey, let's go together and, and let's talk to somebody. It, it was so bad that I poured myself into my career and then when that was taken away from me, I didn't know how to function. Um, 
my family got whatever was left and it was never what they deserved. It was never enough. It was not, they weren't getting my best. And, uh, it's, it was so bad that my kids refer to it often, um, as old dad versus new dad. And now let me back up. It's not to say that I'm a perfect human being by any stretch of the imagination. I work on myself every day. God works in me all day long, every day, 24, seven, 365. I am trying to get a little bit closer to him every single day. That's why I tattooed on the inside of my right arm. God deserves better. I'm trying to get better every day. I'm trying to take steps. I'm trying to improve myself. Um, You you know, you guys, if you follow us uh, online, you've seen, you know, the health issues that I've gone through in the last 10 weeks. And I'll kind of give an update on that. I wasn't going to, but I just thought of it. I'll give an update on the end uh, of this episode on that. Things are going really good, but we need to be okay and we need to be okay to reach out to lift that up too and not be afraid to talk about it because i've talked to so many pastors they're like man i go to therapy twice a week like that's awesome do you talk about it in church oh no no i don't i don't talk about it well why not you don't think people in your church are dealing with the same thing or need to go to see a counselor you know you don't have to wait until your life is a shambles like mine was at that point seven years ago um People ask me all the time, they're like, Chris, you know, you and Lisa have been married for 23 years, man. You guys met in high school. That's amazing. And I said, well, what's, a, what's amazing is, is Lisa because she should have left. I gave her a, a million reasons to leave before. And you know what? She stuck with me. God bless her um, because I don't know where I would be without her. Uh, we, there certainly would be no Inc. 180. Um, and I would be in a different place. <laughs> but we, we tell people all the time, don't wait until there's a problem in your marriage to go see a counselor. Like we do it. We have date nights. We, we put our marriage as a priority. Um, and that's a healthy thing to do. You don't have to wait until your wife's walking out or your husband's walking out to go and see a counselor. It's good to get ideas and tips and ways, um, tools to, to strengthen your relationship and strengthen your marriage. And also, you know, honestly, at times where you're, if you're having a disagreement on how to raise your kids in a certain aspect or a certain part of what's going on in your marriage, it's really good to have an, an objective third party that can look at what's going on from the outside and maybe help steer things um, because it's, it's really helped us out a lot and we love it and we're huge supporters and we, we will always talk about mental health health issues um, and counseling when we speak in churches or schools or whatever um, and people thank us for it all the time men and women like, man, I needed to hear that. Thank you. Um, so we'll always do that. Um, suicide, you know, and like I, I mentioned, Scotty, um, Scotty was my boy and I, uh, I just talked to his sister a couple weeks ago, you know, it just brings it all back. Um, a lot of times I see some pretty hateful stuff on posts, like on social media, when somebody has committed suicide and, I'll hear, I'll read it and people be like, oh, what a coward. He took the easy way out and this and that. And I'm like, man, I don't think it's ever easy to make a decision to take your life. I just think it's people need somebody to talk to and they didn't feel like they had it um, or there's different issues going on. So we, we try to help out with events around here um, for suicide awareness. Of course, we did a lot with the semicolon project. Um, semicolon project, if you don't know, was started by a, a great young woman by the name of Amy Buell. And uh, I got an opportunity to, to meet with her a couple of years ago. And I had read a, a story about the semicolon project. And, 
you may or, or may have seen people walk around with semicolon tattoos. I have one um, in memory of Scotty. But a semicolon is used in literature writing when a sentence could be stopped with a period, but the writer chose for it to carry on. And that's what the semicolon project is all about. So if you see somebody with a semicolon tattoo, you know what that, what that is all about. Um, it's also a tremendous conversation starter. Um, I've had a lot of talks with people who have seen my tattoo and they're like, man, I've heard about that. Like, tell me about that. And I'll, I'll tell them about, you know, my buddy Scotty and, and other stuff. So um, it's just a cool way to bring awareness. And there's so many of these kinds of things and these other ministries. The Semicolon Project is one that we really, really loved. Unfortunately, we lost Amy this year. Um, but her, her legacy is going to go on. Um, it's not something that's going to fade away. A lot of people need to hear about it. Um, and a lot of people need to talk about it. Uh, another thing that, that um, a lot of the folks we work with deal with is PTSD to just varying levels. Um, I do a lot of tattoos and, and stuff for military folks. We love our military. Um, I've heard horrific stories about men and women returning from, from uh, war um, and hearing what they're dealing with and how they're dealing with it too. There's, um, there's a lot of great programs out there that are helping people that are resources for folks that are dealing with it. Um, and as much as that as we can get out there, the better, obviously. Um, I deal with it from, for various or different ways, certainly not to the level of someone who's been at war. Um, sex trafficking survivors often deal with PTSD. I'll, I'll tell a quick story on that. I, I did a uh, tattoo cover-up for a trafficking survivor a few months ago in, in Kentucky. I got a call from the FBI office in Kentucky and drove down and uh, met them and, and met the survivor. And we had a great conversation about this tattoo she had on the back of her neck. It was her pimp's name. And we were talking and I asked her, I said, what do you want to cover this with? And she said, you know what, Chris, I don't even care. Just black it out. Put a black circle over it. I, don't, I just don't want to see it because um, every time I see it or somebody brings it up, it causes me to trigger. Now, a trigger is an event for someone that deals with PTSD where um, it, it's like, a, a, I guess the best way to kind of describe it is a, just the highest level of a panic attack you could experience. So we talked about it and we decided to go a different route and give her something that she could really be proud of. And we did a, a really nice Lotus Blossom tattoo on the back of her neck. And it was probably three inches by three inches. Not a, not a large tattoo. It was a tattoo that if I was doing it just for a, a client on fresh skin, it would probably take me 30 minutes or so to do. Not Nothing, you know, nothing too major. And we started uh, the tattoo. And... I was there with the survivor. Her victim specialist was there, who was an amazing um, social worker that um, she had been working with on counseling and uh, really was helping her out a great deal uh, and the agents that she was working with. And like I said, that tattoo on fresh skin for somebody would probably take about 30 minutes. Um, it ended up that day taking us almost three and a half hours to complete the tattoo. And I knew what was going on. Uh, I told her, just like I tell every survivor that I work with, you know, we, my time is your time. We have all the time in the world, um, whatever you need, whenever you need to take breaks, just say the word and we'll do that. And, um, whatever you need to do, we'll do it. And of course I told her the same and we took several breaks. And, uh, because when I was tattooing her, she was shaking, um, not just a little bit. She was, 
Um, it was difficult to tattoo that just the process of doing the tattoo was very difficult based on how much she was shaking. And, um, I knew what was going on and I had a conversation with her victim specialist beforehand who told me it was likely that she would trigger. Um, so I had that information going in, which was helpful. And, uh, we finished the tattoo and she loved it. Uh, she couldn't see any of the old pimp's name tattooed on her neck and she loved the tattoo and she was just sobbing and uh, this, the relief of not having to answer that question anymore um, really hit her all at once and we were all crying um, I, I'll tell you I'll be the first one to tell you I, I cry all the time I got tears in my eyes right now um, talking about this but then she asked me hey, it was hilarious she turned around this, this young girl she was 19 years old she was probably 5 foot tall and all of maybe 95 pounds and she looked at me and she said, is it okay if I give you a hug? And I said, if you want to, you definitely you can give me a hug. And she did. And I didn't think she was ever going to let go. And so I just gave her a hug and talked to her. And I, just, I prayed for her. And she um, took a step back and a few minutes later. And she said, can I tell you why I was having such a hard time? I said, you know, you can tell me whatever you want to tell me. And if you don't want to tell me, you don't have to tell me anything. You don't have to explain yourself for anything. And, uh, she, she said, no, I, I want to tell you why uh, I was triggering. So I said, okay, sure. She said, um, she told me she had three tattoos and the tattoo of her pimp's name was the most recent tattoo she had received. The other tattoos were ones that she had just got on her own. And she said the whole time that her, pimp's friend was doing that tattoo on her neck her pimp stood in front of her with a nine millimeter pistol pressed against her forehead and said repeatedly if you move i will kill you and i was like yeah absolutely can understand why that would be extremely difficult for you to even hear or see a tattoo machine hear the word tattoo um and we hear stuff like that all the time um, and again, this is why I go to a counselor because I take these things on. I, I hear these things and I go and offload it to my counselor who then tells me, I think I need to go talk to my counselor. So it's like a chain reaction of counseling, but it's healthy. It needs to happen. Like we can't take, we're living in a time guys where we're seeing horrific things done by human beings to other human beings in our day to day lives. Okay. And if we don't have an outlet, a method, uh, a process to offload that stuff and deal with it, um, it's going to build up like a pressure cooker and our heads are going to explode. Um, that's just, that's how I feel about it. It's, it's extremely difficult. You gotta, you gotta talk to somebody, even if it's just a friend that you can talk to that you trust. PTSD is a huge, huge thing that we all deal with here with different um, situations. Self-harm. Um, I'm just going to briefly talk about self-harm because we're going to get into it in depth next week. I'm going to have a special guest. Um, one of my other artists, Sophie Morse uh, here, phenomenal, phenomenal young tattoo artist that's been with us here at Ink Need for the last two years. Um, she's dealt with that in her life and she's dealing with it. Um, and she's going to come in and I'm going to interview her next week and it's, it's going to be awesome. I really hope that you'll listen to that um, because a lot of us need to hear more about it. But I, I had no idea about self-harm until I started doing youth ministry. And we did a, a event one night where we had 300 local kids from Oswego at an event. 
and we gave them all a uh, index card when they came in and a pen. And on the fr- in the front of this big auditorium where we were, there was a whiteboard, and it said, "If you really knew me, you would know blank." And these kids filled out these cards. They didn't put their name on it. It was totally anonymous. And at the end of the night, they they dropped those cards in a box on the way out the door. And then we took them back, and to the, all the leaders went back to one of the leaders' houses, and we sat down and, and read these cards and sobbed our eyes out. One of the biggest issues that we read about that night was self-harm or cutting. And I, it's not something I've ever dealt with, um, but I've, I continue to learn a lot about it. Um, certainly not an expert. That's why I'm going to bring Sophie in to kind of tell you in her own words um, what she's gone through, how she's dealt with it, and what she continues to do uh, to deal with it. Um, but we do a lot of self-harm cover-ups. One of the things that um, surprises me a lot, like I said, you know, a lot of this stuff is hidden. You know, I just had a friend of mine in here the other night. Um, he's about my age, father, great guy. I love this dude. Uh, we were talking about my trip to Vegas and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I dealt with that too. Uh, about four or five years ago, I was, I was cutting my thigh to deal with pain. He's like, I didn't feel like, I didn't think I could feel pain anymore because of the mental pain in my life was so much of a huge thing and a, an obstacle I didn't know how to deal with. And he started telling me about it. I was like blown away. I was like, really? Wow. You know, it, there's no sign of it. Like nobody could tell. The more people I talk to, the more I find out what a huge issue this is. Um, my son, one of his first girlfriends dealt with it. And uh, he saw uh, some cuts on her arm and he had asked her about it. And, you know, knowing what we did and, and it was like we wanted to offer her some some help you know we work with some great organizations that could give her some help um to to work through that and she really wasn't interested and uh, we went and talked with her dad she was a living just with her dad parents were divorced and the dad was not receptive to it at all he's like oh no she's fine she's fine she's fine um thank god we've we've found out he's you know my son's still friends with her and you know they're, they're they're cool um, but we've found that she has, in fact, gotten the help that she needed to process that. And, you know, it, I don't know what it was that um, that made that happen, but but thank God it did. And she's actually doing really well. Um, I've had kids as young as like 10 and 11 come up to me after speaking engagements and say, I, I'm dealing with self-harm and my parents don't want to hear about it. They don't believe it. Um, they don't think I have problems. They think I should just deal with it. And that breaks my heart. Um, one of the things that I'm most appreciative for in my, my life now is the communication that I have with, with my kids, Lisa and I. You know, we have, we have great conversations. We have tough conversations. Um, our house has become that house where kids come to to get their questions answered because they're afraid to get those at home. We need to stop pretending that everything's okay. Um, our kids need us. Our kids need us for more than just paying the bills and putting a roof over their head and, and putting Jordans on their feet. Like we need to have those tough conversations and get them the help that they need by any means necessary because our kids are far too valuable to ignore what's going on in our lives. And that doesn't stop when they turn 18. You know, we <laughs> some of the questions that get asked around our, our dinner table are terrifying. Uh, they really can be. But I, I appreciate the fact that my kids are so comfortable talking with us that we can have that conversation. I'm, I'm 
consider it a blessing to be able to have that ugly, difficult conversation. Um, so we need we need more of that. We need to talk to our kids about that. Um, people are hurting. People are really hurting out there. I had a I had a young woman come in here. It's pretty cool story. God works in mysterious and amazing ways, big and small, all the time. Uh, I was I was in here Friday night doing a tattoo for uh, a father and. His daughter had bought him a uh, Ink 180 tattoo gift certificate for Father's Day just a few weeks ago. Called me up, made the appointment, and he came in with his wife and the daughter that uh, bought him the gift certificate. And she came in. We were talking. We had a great conversation, you know, having fun. We started talking about the fact that Tyler and I were going to to hang out with Brian Welch the next day. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I'm a huge fan of him. I I love their music and this and that. Started talking. Um, about that more and she's like I, you know I'm just kind of lost right now I'm 19 I'm, I don't know what I want to do I'm kind of lost I graduated high school and you know I'm I'm not an atheist but I'm agnostic and I just I don't know what I believe and I said well that's that's fair there's a lot of kids a lot of people your age deal with that you know um, especially kids that grew up in the church and now they're feeling kind of ostracized or they feel like they don't fit in because uh, I don't think we the, we as the church do a, a good enough job to keep kids involved in church when they kind of go to college or after they graduate high school. Anyway, we're talking, and she's like, I just feel lost. And I'm like, man, I need to pray for this girl right now. And I started talking to her about my my story and how me like my faith isn't about just simply going to church. It's about an active relationship with Jesus. And what he's done in my life and what he continues to do and how that works. And then I talked about what Brian does and she hadn't heard about like a lot of his story. Just simply it was that she was a fan of his music. So I gave her um, the whosoever's um, shout out to the whosoever's. They do amazing work, especially with young people um, to reach them for Jesus in unique and inspiring ways. I love the whosoever's movement. If you're not familiar, you should check them out at the whosoever's.com. Um, but it was formed by Brian Welch, um, Sonny Sandoval from P.O.D., uh, today's musical intro and outro, one of my favorite bands, and um, Ryan Reese, who does amazing work to reach kids for Jesus. So I gave her a copy of their documentary. I told her, I was like, I don't want this back. I want you to take it, and then at some point I want you to pass it forward to somebody else that needs it. But I want you to watch it, and I want you to come in. We're just going to sit down and talk. I'm not ever going to, you know, cram a bunch of religion down your throat. I just want to be real with you. And uh, so I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about continuing to work with her and, and, you know, see where it goes. She just was reaching out and it seemed like a great time to talk with her and pray with her and just be present for her. That's what we need to do, guys. We need more of that. It's not about recreating your whole life, starting a ministry, throwing it all away and, and starting over. It's about reaching out to the people that are around you. You know, people are... People are uh, throwing out lifelines or, you know, looking for a lifeline and they're not getting it and they're trying to, to deal with things on their own. That's just not, based on my experience, it's not a way to get it done. So we need to reach out. We need to be a conduit just of hope and, you know, a, an ear to listen. You don't have to have all the answers. Just be willing to listen and be present for somebody. Oh, man, that was a lot. It was a lot today, but I think it was a good foundation for what we're going to talk about next week with the self-harm. Um, I'm going to share Desiree's story next week. Um, I'll give you just a real quick health update on me because people have been emailing me and calling and asking stuff, and I appreciate that a lot. I appreciate the prayers. Um, Ten weeks ago, I was in the hospital in the emergency room with blood pressure at 210 over 100. 
Uh, they thought I was going to have a stroke or a heart attack. Uh, thankfully, thank God I didn't have either of those, but I did have one heck of a wake up call. Um, I have in the last 10 weeks, I've lost 47 pounds. I feel great. I'm exercising. I'm, I'm running two, five K's a day, one in the morning, one at night. Um, my diet's like spot on by the book. And for the first time in a long time, I feel alive physically. Um, so I want to thank everybody for the, the prayers and the messages and all the positivity around that. I really, really, really appreciate that. You guys, um, it's a huge blessing. Um, next week, like I said, we're talking about self-harm with uh, my special guest, uh, Sophie Morse, my other tattoo artist here at Inc. 180. She's an awesome young woman that's, um, I think, going to make it a very real um, thing for you. It's going to help you understand what's going on with people that deal with self-harm. Really excited for what, what's going to happen this week. So I want you, you know, this week, um, go out and just be there to listen for somebody. Be an ear. Be a shoulder. Be there for somebody. Be present. Okay? Um, join us next week for episode six, Self-Harm. We're going to end today with another song from my friends, P.O.D., Sonny, Trey, Marcos, and Wove, San Diego, California. What's up? Whosoever's. We're going to give you a little bit of hire from P.O.D. on the way out the door. Go be a blessing to somebody. God bless you guys. 